Hey y'all, this is Sharita, and I recover out loud for those who are suffering in silence. You are listening to Black Recovery Talk, a podcast that discusses abstinence and sobriety, open and honestly to remind people they are not alone in a society that glamorizes addiction and stigmatizes mental health. Now on to today's episode. Hi, you guys. My name is Sharita, and welcome to another episode of Black Recovery Talk. If you guys did not listen to my last episode, I talked about all of the awarenesses that are going on in the month of September, and one of those awarenesses was Self-Care Awareness Month, and that is what I will be talking about in today's podcast. I'm going to be talking about all things self-care, all things that are not self-care, the good, the bad, and the ugly of self-care. So let's go ahead and get started with today's episode. How fascinating is it that we are so different and unique, and yet also how we all share very common basic psychological and physical needs. We share the need for food, water, shelter, and safety, but equally, we have psychological needs for love, approval, and appreciation. While our emotions range in intensity, duration, and sensitivity, we all share the basic core emotions. Naturally, our emotional experiences vary and are based on our childhood development and learning in adult life. Yet all of us need skills for regulating how we feel and for taking care of ourselves. Our minds, emotions, bodies, and self are intricately interconnected and influencing each other. Getting to know the art of self-care involves getting to know yourself. Making yourself familiar with what your needs may be at any particular moment. The understanding of this art is that it is full of opposites, where both are sometimes true and needed. We need a range of skills to support us in life, and sometimes a skill will be helpful in one situation or at one time in life and not others. This is the art of self-care, to be flexible in trying different things and attuned to what it is you might need in any given moment. Self-care can be something that doesn't have to compete with our daily demands, that isn't another chore or pressure, and is not something we feel we should be doing. It is a fundamental approach to living that gives us opportunity to experience the natural benefits that flow. So before we dive deep into self-care, I would like to share some news in the recovery world. Steve Harwell, the lead singer of Smash Mouth, If you guys do not know Smash Mouth, just think the theme song to Shrek. He actually passed away a couple days ago at the age of 56 from liver failure. The cause of his liver failure was alcoholism. He was a heavy drinker. I don't know if he drank all the way up until his final days, but I do know he was on hospice and he was not given much time And I believe from the time that they announced he was on hospice to the time that he passed was maybe a day. So he was in severe or acute liver failure, and it was only a matter of time before he passed away. And it sucks because he was such a talented individual. He was a human first, but he was such a talented individual, and it's so sad that He was led to live this life that was full of poison and alcohol, and it led him down this road that lacked proper and positive self-care that could have avoided 
his final demise. Something else that happened actually happened very close to me. Now, this does not involve anybody that I know personally, but it popped up on my Facebook and I just feel like I needed to share this whole situation that happened. And this also ties into what happened to Steve Harwell. I was on Facebook and a friend of mine shared a post and they were giving their their condolences and their regards to somebody who had just passed away. It was somebody that they knew. They tagged the person and me being the nosy Nancy that I am, I went to that person's page. I am naturally curious about those kinds of things. I didn't know if you know, there was an accident or just whatever it may have been. And I ended up kind of going down a rabbit hole on this particular person's Facebook page. So about a month prior to their passing, they announced that they had gone four days without alcohol. And the reasons for them not drinking was because their health had taken a decline. Something happened with their health. Then they celebrated about a week sober, I want to say it was. And then they posted that they were in the hospital and that they were going to be in the hospital for a couple of days. So send positive vibes and prayers, even though they really weren't into prayers, but whatever, anything that they could receive, they were taking it. And this person's last post was about a blood transfusion. Now, again, me being the nosy Nelly that I am, the person wasn't specific in any of their statuses of what was going on. So I was looking through the comments about the blood transfusion, and they mentioned that they were getting a blood transfusion because, they're, because they had a bad liver. And this is just me speculating, and I put the pieces together, and it sounds like something happened. Maybe they had a doctor's appointment and the doctor told them that they needed to stop drinking because their, you know, their organs were failing or whatever. But by that time, it was too late because they announced their sobriety and less than a month later, they had passed away because they had a bad liver. And they talked about how they knew they needed to stop drinking. They talked about how drinking was so bad for them. Nobody really knew how much they drank. And again, I'm going through this person's Facebook and there were a lot of signs that this person was not happy. And I'm not saying that it was up to anybody else, but nobody publicly reached out to this person. But when they announced their sobriety, then all of a sudden, Everybody was on their side and checking in on them. And it just, it sucks that it took something so drastic for people to want to reach out when all the signs were there on their Facebook page. And again, maybe somebody was reaching out privately. I'm not sure. But it doesn't sound like they were taking care of themselves. It doesn't sound like they were using any kind of positive self-care to ensure that they have a great life that everybody else thought they should have had. And the one thing that really bothered me about the entire situation was after this person passed away, and we can only assume that their liver failed or they had a bad liver because of alcohol, because of the things that they said, a friend of theirs, instead of raising awareness about how bad alcohol truly can be, 
they were running specials at their bar in honor of this person's passing. Now, maybe that's something that they would have liked. I don't know. But to me, it just seemed very tone deaf. This person was hurting and this person was drowning in alcohol. And the way that they want to remember this person is by having drink specials to remember this person. Instead of going, hey, if you're struggling, let us know. I don't know. Again, I may be on a soapbox, but it's weird how people celebrate a tragedy with just pushing more negative self-care. I don't know. I didn't like it. I don't have to like it. It's not about me, but I just found it very ironic and tone deaf. But it ain't my business, so it is what it is. All right, so now into what this episode truly is about, and that is Self-Care Awareness Month. Now, what is Self-Care Awareness Month? It is an opportunity to raise additional awareness about self-care and self-care interventions. Y'all, do five push-ups every time I say self-care. Self-care is also an opportunity to celebrate the benefits that they bring to people's lives and what's been achieved so far. And it is also an opportunity to call for renewed commitments and action to expand health systems to include self-care interventions. During the month, people around the world will be celebrating self-care practices and interventions and the differences they can make to everyone's lives. Self-care is often neglected in our daily lives as we have many things to worry about and our health is often overlooked. We tend to put others' needs before our own without focusing on our own physical, emotional, and mental health. Taking care of ourselves is essential, and true self-care measures are not self-centered. This month is a time to remind us to take care of ourselves without guilt. Self-care methods should benefit the mind, body, and or soul. Practices like meditation, journaling, reading, or taking a bath with essential oils are common. Self-care, however, looks different for each of us, and we should participate without guilt and without apologizing. Be kind to yourself as you would be to others because you cannot pour from an empty cup. I feel like that embodies all of what self-care is, and I could end the podcast right now, but I'm not going to because we're going to get real specific because that's what I do. What exactly is self-care? So this is just the definition of what self-care is. Self-care includes everything related to staying physically healthy, including hygiene, nutrition, and seeking medical care when needed. It's all the steps an individual can take to manage stressors in their life and take care of their own health and well-being. And the reason why self-care is so important is because it's about empowering people to be active agents in their own health care. Doing so not only puts people at the center of their own health care, but it also relieves pressures on health systems. You know, the non-racist, non-fatphobic, non-homophobic healthcare systems, those. So I came across this little chart and it is called the power of self-care and power is an acronym. We're going to go through this chart, however, comma, there, there's some things that are wrong with in my opinion, that are wrong with the chart. But I think this is a good starting off point to what self-care is. I just 
I'm not a fan of using power of self-care when there's a lot of ableist and racist and <laughs> and fat phobic language, but it's a try. It's a good start. So the power of self-care, P, personal well-being. Personal well-being consists of five ways to help improve your mental health. One being connect. Connect with the people around you, with family, friends, colleagues, neighbors. Building connections will support and enrich you every day. Two, learn. Learn new skills or rediscover an old interest. Learn an instrument or how to cook. Things like this can boost your confidence and it is fun. Three, take notice. Savor the moment. Beware of the world around your feelings. Be mindful. It will help you appreciate what matters to you. Four, give. Do something nice for a friend or a stranger. Thank someone. Smile. Volunteer. Look out as well as in. Seeing yourself as part of a wider community is fulfilling. And number five, be active. Go for a walk or a run. Find a physical activity you enjoy and that suits your current fitness level. It makes you feel good and prevents many illnesses. With personal well-being, take small steps. Pick one or two things that feel achievable at first and give yourself time to figure out what works for you going at your own pace. And only try what feels comfortable. You don't want to put yourself out there and now your anxiety is on 100 and that is no longer self-care. The O in power, out and about and exercise. I feel like this is self-explanatory. Exercise, some is good, more is better. Exercise improves sleep. It helps maintain a healthy weight, fat phobic. Reduces the risk of many diseases helps manage stress, and improves your quality of life. The W, weight awareness. We're going to talk about this, y'all. Being underweight or overweight can affect your health. If your BMI is 25 or over, you can reduce your risk of developing serious diseases such as cancer and heart disease just by losing weight. (sighs) I don't even want to have the BMI talk. So BMI stands for body mass index or something like that. And it is so skewed. It is such a racist concept because BMI is based off of European standards. It's based off of what society deems as a perfect body image. I am four foot 11. When I was a gymnast, I was a competitive gymnast growing up, I weighed anywhere between 125 and 130. And that was muscle. According to the BMI, I was overweight because of my size compared to my weight. Do you know what the BMI does to young people? Do you know what it does to adults? I do not believe in the BMI. I do not stand by the BMI. The older I got, the more I understood. But the BMI is completely outdated. And even on this chart, it says... BMI ranges are slightly different for people from South Asian, Chinese, African Caribbean, and Black African backgrounds. So why is the BMI still a thing? Point blank period, the BMI is racist. But you know if you're over or underweight. Weight can be a trigger for mental health 
It can be a trigger for people that have body dysmorphia or body image issues. But speaking just relatively, you know if you're overweight or if you're underweight. So that's my rant. The E in power is eating and diet. The food pyramid. Do you guys remember that growing up? Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. I just believe in having a healthy and balanced diet. I am all about balance. Eating fruits and vegetables daily and drinking six to eight glasses of water a day. That's just me personally. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to push a food pyramid. It's just not what I'm going to do. And the R in power, risks and prevention. Help your heart and your health. Start exercising. This reduces the risks of diabetes, heart disease, falls, depression, joint and back pain, and many cancers. At the same time, become weight aware. The chart says increasing weight above a BMI of 25 increases your risks of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and many cancers. I don't care what the BMI says. However, comma, being overweight increases your risks of those things. Stop smoking. There is no safe level. Watch your alcohol intake. On this chart, it says men and women are advised not to drink more than 14 units a week on a regular basis. Me personally, I can't wait until they start pushing the no safe level of alcohol since there's absolutely no positive benefits to alcohol. And the last is check your blood pressure. Know your numbers. Unless your doctor says otherwise, blood pressure should be below 140 over 90. Don't ask me what those numbers mean because I have not a single clue. Now I want to move on to the areas of self-care because I feel self-care is such a broad term that it should be broken down into different areas. That way you can focus on one area when needed and we'll talk about it. So I found that there are eight areas of self-care and we're going to talk about all of them. The first area is physical self-care. Physical self-care involves movement of the body, health, nutrition, sleep, rest, physical touch, and sexual needs. And some things that you can do for physical self-care, going for a walk, getting enough sleep, eating nourishing foods, things like that. Two, psychological self-care. This involves learning new things, Applying consequential thinking, engaging intrinsic motivation, practicing mindfulness and creativity. Like it says, practicing mindfulness, reading a book, learning or teaching a new skill, or doing a digital detox. Three, emotional self-care. This involves enhancing emotional literacy, navigating emotions, increasing empathy, managing stress effectively, and developing compassion for self and others. So this can be writing in a gratitude jar or a gratitude journal, saying no, heavy on the saying no. Make time for reflecting on feelings and developing emotional literacy, practicing self-compassion, and being aware of your own boundaries. Again, heavy on the being aware of your own boundaries. Four, Social self-care. 
This involves having a supportive group and network of relationships around whom you trust and who you can turn to when required. Having caring and supporting people around you builds a sense of belonging and connectedness. I know for me personally, I'm not a fan of people. (laughs) I know it sounds weird with what I'm trying to do and use my voice, but this is This is hard for me because this includes belonging to three groups or communities outside of work, honoring your commitments to other people, asking for help when you need it, meeting new people, or go walking with family or friends. Five, professional self-care. This involves sharing your strengths and gifts, having clear professional boundaries while living your purpose. So this would be knowing your roles and responsibilities at work, attending professional develop, development classes or courses, negotiating your needs, having a life coach, things like that. Number six, environmental self-care. Now, y'all, this is where I struggle. This involves having an organized, well-maintained, and clutter-free work, business, and home environment. Having clean clothes and a clean and well-maintained mode of transportation. Also minimizing waste and monitoring technology time. So decluttering your home or your work environment. Recycling as much as possible. Monitoring, why can't I not say that word? Monitoring technology time. Cleaning up after a meal and maintaining a clean and safe living environment. I am learning a lot about myself and ADHD and how this is heavily affected by it. Me personally and with my, the way that my brain works, environmental self-care is something I lack, but I'm aware of it and I'm definitely trying to make that change. It's a slow change, but it's, it's a change. Number seven, Spiritual self-care. This involves the beliefs and values that are important to you and how you guide your life. So this includes pursuing your noble goals and the practices that support you developing spiritual awareness. So this could be meditating, reflecting in a journal, volunteering at a local organization, going on a retreat, walking in nature. This can be church for some people. Spiritual self-care. And the last one, number eight, is another one that I struggle with, but I've actually been doing a lot better lately, is financial self-care. This involves being responsible with your finances, living expenses, income, insurances, savings, so on and so forth, and having a conscious relationship with money. So this is knowing where your income is coming in, knowing where your expenses are due and paying them on time. (laughs) keeping your insurances up to date, completing your tax responsibilities on time and spending and saving money wisely. So me, again, not the best at it, but my partner, this is where they excel, financial self-care. Thank God I have them in my life. But again, it's called (laughs) self-care, self-care. So it's something that I am working on for myself. I'm getting the help from somebody else, but again, self. I want to share a quote with you guys before I move on to the next part of self-care. Again, five push-ups every time I say self-care. 
Self-care is not an indulgence. It's a discipline. Again, self-care is not an indulgence. It's a discipline. I know people, they hear self-care and they think self-care Sundays, you know, or they think vegging out in front of their TV for hours and hours, snacking on foods that they otherwise shouldn't be eating a lot of, you know, for 12 hours a day or whatever. I understand that's what people think when they hear self-care, but honestly and truly, it is a discipline. And I saw this TikTok and this girl was speaking about how self-care is sometimes doing those hard things, coming to terms with the trauma and the hurt, eating healthy, going to the gym. Those are some of the things that you must do for self-care because self-care is going to benefit you in the long run. It's not about what's good for me right now. Self-care is all about preserving and what is good for you a couple years from now. What is your body going to thank you for later? So with that, let's talk about what people think self-care is. Some things that people think self-care is, is overindulgence in spending. Hence the quote. Binge eating your favorite but bad for you foods. Participating in activities that provide instant gratification. Going on expensive and lavish vacations, especially if they can't afford them. Perfecting oneself by any means necessary. Numbing bad feelings using alcohol or illicit substances. Binge watching television. Those are all the things I feel like people think of when they hear self-care or when they think self-care. But what self-care actually is, is prioritizing one's physical and mental health. Adopting healthy lifestyle habits that can be maintained long-term. Eating a healthy diet. Finding exercise activities that you enjoy and participating in them regularly. Hello, adult ballet. Getting an adequate amount of good quality sleep. Following treatment plans for existing conditions accordingly. That one is so important because people think because they are young or relatively healthy that they don't have to follow certain treatment plans to, to heal anything. It could be to heal a torn ACL or to heal a broken leg or to heal some kind of chronic illness that they have. They think that they can just kind of walk it off, shake it off. Took everything in me not to sing Taylor Swift. But following those treatment plans accordingly will, again, help you in the future. When I was younger, I didn't understand the purpose of stretching. You know, I would wake up and just be able to go. I would wake up and be able to just go to practice and just immediately start tumbling. I never understood what stretching was for. Now that I'm older, I get it. I understand. And another thing that self-care actually is, is taking time out for yourself to participate in healthy activities you enjoy. Heavy on the you enjoy. Because I'm pretty sure I talked about this in my last podcast. I don't feel that we should ever outgrow the things that we enjoy. There, there isn't an age on 
what it is that you can enjoy, what you deem fun. Like I said, I started adult ballet at such and such years old. I'm doing that for myself because it's something that I want to do. It's healthy. You do it properly. It's good for your body. I also want to talk about the negative sides of quote unquote self-care. So let's talk about the ways that a lack of self-care can harm you or lead to an unhealthy life. So if you're lacking self-care, you're probably going to feel stressed and exhausted. You're not getting you're not getting enough sleep. You're not getting good quality sleep. Personal hygiene suffers. If you're not taking care of yourself, you can become depressed, and depression immobilizes you from being able to do small things such as personal hygiene. Taking a shower, brushing your teeth, washing your hair, getting a haircut. You'll seek unhealthy employment. Weight gain. Again, weight gain is not always a bad thing. We just talked about how being underweight is unhealthy. Maybe weight gain is a good thing. That's why... (laughs) Tangent... That's why I said some of these things are so fat phobic because they're saying lack of self-care can lead to an unhealthy life. That unhealthy life is weight gain. What if you are trying to gain weight? (laughs) People automatically go, oh, weight gain, unhealthy. Now, I know this is the quote unquote unhealthy type of weight gain. I understand that, but there's nothing wrong with the term fat. People are fat. There's nothing, it's not a bad word. So I think the list should say getting fat (laughs) rather than weight gain because weight gain can be essential to people who are struggling with an eating disorder. My ADHD is kicking in. Another way that lack of self-care can lead to an unhealthy life is you'll just never feel good enough. And I know, I think it was Cat Williams, he had that joke about self-esteem, about how, you know, and he's like, it's called self-esteem. It's how you feel about yourself. And while the joke was funny, there's there's layers to that. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not indulging in self-care, then yeah, your self-esteem is going to suffer. And that has everything to do with you and yourself and how you treat yourself. To piggyback off of that, a lack, you know, the lack of self-care, there are also harmful self-care habits that we as a society need to unlearn. One, listening to toxic positivity. Toxic positivity, oh my gosh. Those are the people who are overly positive. You know, those are the people that say, you tell them you're depressed and they go, oh, you'll get over it. Things will work out in the end. Just think happy thoughts. I'm going to be doing a segment on toxic positivity in another podcast later this month because I forget what day it is, but someday in September it's called like the day of positivity and that's going to be a bonus episode and we're going to talk about toxic positivity because that shit needs to end. Some other common harmful self-care habits, not being selfish enough. That's all about that being able to say no. That's all about not feeling guilty for taking care of yourself. Because if you're not okay, 
then the people around you can't be okay. And I'm going to use this in terms of like parenting. So I know, especially for moms, moms are supposed to do everything when they have a newborn or when they're just, you know, a mom in general, but they're supposed to cook and clean and go to work and, you know, take care of the kids. And on top of that, they're supposed to be happy and they're not supposed to do anything for themselves because apparently once you become a parent, you no longer become a human being. And you hear people that are like, well, you're a parent. You're not supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. You're a parent. You can't go to a concert. You're a parent. You can't travel. You're a parent. You can't do this. You're a parent. You can't do that. I understand why some moms have breaking points because they're supposed to do everything, but they can't think about themselves. No, be selfish. Right now, I'm in a very selfish stage of my life because I feel like I deserve it because I've been hard on myself for so many years and I did not take care of myself. And if I'm a happy mom, then I can be a happy mom to my child. So we need to unlearn not being selfish enough. Be selfish because at the end of the day, all you have is you. All you have is your mental health. All you have is your physical health. We also need to unlearn indulging in bad food and activities under the guise of self-care. So a couple weeks ago, me and two of my friends went to self-care Sunday. Yoga, Zumba, all of the things. But it included bottomless mimosas. Now here's the thing. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I do not think because I am sober that everybody else needs to be sober because there are people who can drink responsibly. There are people who can have one drink and be good. But bottomless mimosas, that has nothing to do with self-care because after yoga, people were getting shit-faced. How is that self-care? You're indulging in this poison. You're gonna wake up, the next day, maybe full of guilt, maybe with a hangover, maybe throwing up all night. Nobody, that is not self-care. Now, if it would have said, and a drink ticket, okay, cool. But you're promoting getting shit-faced on self-care Sunday. Make that make sense. So how do we work around self-care? Because I know there are some barriers to self-care such as low self-worth. So people who are overly critical of themselves, they avoid self-care or they don't see it as a priority because they don't see themselves as a priority. Or the guilt thing, we talked about guilt. Putting others first is common, you, you know, for a lot of people, especially if you have children. And when it comes to taking care of themselves, they feel guilty or they feel like they're being selfish. Again, I, I don't think selfish is inherently bad in the terms of self-care. Because if you're taking care of yourself, if you are being selfish and you're taking care of yourself, that way you can take care of others, then it's a, it's a productive form of selfishness. <laughs> there are people who feel like they don't have enough time. Life gets busy. I get it. I understand. Everybody is busy. Everybody has jobs and friends and school and, and children and spouses. But practicing self-care usually goes to the bottom of the list. But it seems like people make time for negative 
self-care because making change isn't easy. And in order to adopt self-care practices, you have to make changes, which is not, it's not easy. Change, good or bad, it's not, it's not easy and it's not fun. You know, the first time I felt joy after years and years of being depressed, I did not like the feeling because the feeling was foreign because I forgot what it felt like to be happy. I forgot what joy felt like because I was used to just being depressed or disassociated. That was my normal state of being. So when it started to turn around, I didn't like it. It's hard. Change, good or bad, not easy. And it's weird when people ask me, how are you? And I say, I'm good and I actually mean it. It's weird. And I still struggle with that. Another barrier to self-care is a lack of understanding. Like I mentioned before, some people see self-care as expensive vacations, lavish vacations. Nope, that's not always it. Self-care can be meditating for 15 minutes. Self-care can be getting a haircut. Self-care can be meal prepping. But when you understand the benefits to self-care, then hopefully those barriers can pass. When you not only learn the benefits, but just learn what self-care is, then maybe those, the, you can start to chip away at those barriers. So some short-term benefits to, to self-care are reduced stress levels, increasing your self-worth, feelings of belonging. It may sound simple, but for people who truly don't take care of themselves, these are the things that are lacking in their lives. And then long-term benefits, better management of disease and chronic illness. Those illnesses can be physical or mental. Story time. I take care of myself physically pretty well. I work out a lot. I'm at the gym a lot. I go to this aqua class and there's a lot of older people, which is fine. I still feel like I get a workout when I do that class. So I do the class or maybe I'm just part of that older crowd. Anywho, when I first started this class, there was a lady and she she's an older lady. She comes in with a walker. And I've been doing this class maybe for about two months. And I feel like I've seen her at every class for two months. On Monday, this past Monday, she walks into the class without her walker. She walked into the class two months ago using a walker. Now she no longer needs that walker. I do not know the extent of her, her physical ailments, but she came up to me and ask, did you notice I don't have my walker anymore? And it's because she goes, she does this class three days a week. That is her self-care. Yeah, it took two months, but she's doing better physically. Some other long-term benefits. Prevention of disease in the future. Again, future. Something that your body will thank you for later. Healthier relationships because of an increase in self-esteem and self-worth. Because if I'm not happy, your partner's not happy. An improvement in job satisfaction. A reduction in burnout caused by the busyness of life. Because if you are prioritizing the things that need to be prioritized, you're not going to get burned out 
from trying to do 800 things in a 24-hour period. And it just an overall improved quality of life and well-being. So how do we build a self-care plan? What does your self-care plan look like? Building your perfect self-care plan will depend entirely on your own personal health and lifestyle. To create a plan to encourage better health and well-being, one, you have to determine your overall level of health. Once you know where your starting point is health-wise, you can begin adding or subtracting certain activities or stressors in your life. Two, identify your stressors. Make a list of things that cause you stress in all aspects of your life. Once you do that, you can do your best to avoid certain stressors. If they're unavoidable, then you can teach yourself coping techniques that can help lessen your stress reaction to certain situations. Three, identify your coping strategies. Everyone develops strategies to cope with health issues, stress, and other life problems. Make a list of your coping strategies and see which ones are healthy and which ones aren't. The ones that are not doing you a service because they are not healthy will need, will need to be swapped out for healthier coping mechanisms. And once you've done all that, you can begin to formulate a plan from your list that you can truly commit to. And that goes for all of the areas of self-care that we talked about earlier. So that's the physical, psychological, emotional, social, professional, environmental, spiritual, and financial. And I know it seems like a lot, but once you start, it really it really isn't that much. You know, I believe in habit stacking because I know a lot of us like to try to change something big all at once. The, the beginning of the, the year, I almost said the month, the beginning of the year, what do we do? We set New Year's resolutions. And usually those resolutions, what people would call smart goals. They're not specific. They're not measurable. They're not attainable. They're not R. <laughs> and they're not timely. I'm pretty sure that's what those all stand for, the, the acronym for SMART goals. We say, you know, I want to lose 30 pounds. So you get a gym membership. You go to the gym really hard for the first week and then you just stop because you're not used to it. And then at the same time, you're probably trying to change your entire diet. You're trying to get as much sleep as you can without changing your daily habits that help you sleep better at night. So you got to start small. You have to start small. For me, I know I don't have the best eating habits. So I told myself, I'll eat at least one fruit and or vegetable every day. And I've been doing that. Sometimes that fruit comes in the form of a smoothie at Jamba Juice, but it is still fruit nonetheless. <laughs> and then after I get used to eating a, you know, eating fruit, buying fruit, buying vegetables, eating vegetables, then I can work on the other things that I want to incorporate into my diet or things that I want to eliminate from my diet because it needs to be a lifestyle. Why y'all didn't tell me I was going to talk this long about self-care? I can keep going, but I'm not going to. If you guys want, you can follow me on Instagram and I will be sharing a lot of, a lot of resources on self-care because I feel 
like self-care. feel like it's a lost art. I feel like positive self-care is a lost art. And there will be a lot of resources on my Instagram at Black Recovery Talk. So let me know if you guys plan on making a self-care plan. Let me know where you guys struggle with self-care and let me know where you guys excel in self-care. Because I can tell you right now, my physical self-care, my psychological self-care, and my spiritual self-care, those are probably my top three self-care areas where I'm excelling. Where I'm not excelling so much, environmental self-care, financial self-care, and social self-care. I'm a very social person, but there are so many things that I want to do when it comes to networking that I'm not doing. So let me know. Let me know where you guys are exceeding. Let me know where you guys are lacking, and we'll go from there. Thank you guys for listening to me ramble on about self-care. And until next time, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Black Recovery Talk. For free resources and materials, head over to blackrecoverytalk.wordpress.com. Connect with me on social media at Black Recovery Talk on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads, and BLK Recovery TLK on Twitter. Come back often and make sure to subscribe, share, and leave a positive review on whatever platform you enjoy your podcast to help support the show further.